The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Daphne Miller, is a Harvard-trained physician and a professor of family medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Her widely acclaimed first book, The Jungle Effect, chronicled her nutrition adventures as she traveled to n- traditional communities around the world. And she returns to Health Watch today to talk about her second book, entitled Pharmacology with an F, Pharmacology, What Innovative Family Farming Can Teach Us About Health and Healing. Welcome back to Health Watch, Dr. Daphne Miller. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, for people who aren't familiar with your first book, The Jungle Effect, maybe we can just start with how you first uh, became interested in food and in relationship to medicine and health. Absolutely. I, I'm a family doctor. In fact, today I'm talking to you in between patients. And when you begin to practice medicine in the real world after finishing your medical training, you suddenly realize that, in fact, you've been pretty ill-prepared to take care of most of the problems that walk in your clinic door, since most of them really are related to lifestyle issues like nutrition and the way we move our bodies and the stress that we harbor. And uh, these are things that we're not really taught to deal with in medical school. (laughs) And um, so I started to become very interested in nutrition and started to read very broadly Um, what was out there both in the literature and also more popular writing. And I realized that uh, a lot of it really was kind of invented diets uh, that were thought up either by a scientist or a supermodel. (laughs) And um, there wasn't a lot of attention being paid to, you know, the, the, the eating plans that had been handed down to us generation after generation from our ancestors because they tasted good because they kept us healthy. And so I started to pay more attention to traditional recipes and traditional ways of eating. And in fact, in the book, I travel to places around the world that still have very low rates of the modern chronic diseases that I see all the time in my office, problems like heart disease and diabetes. And I found out what they were eating there and brought those recipes back to my patients. So, so in the jungle effect, you you looked at uh, nutrition and and traditional communities with low incidence of certain diseases, and and in your new book, pharmacology, you you set out to look at human health by exploring cutting edge farming practices. So, how did how did this idea come to you to pursue human health from the lens of the farm? Well, because I've been writing about nutrition for so long, and specifically nutrition in parts of the world that, you know, we're still eating in a very traditional way, the next step really is to start to think about how food is grown. And one thing that really became quite obvious to me as I traveled to little villages in West Africa or in Japan was that, um, you know, I saw these communities that had very low rates of modern diseases. And then, by contrast, I was in other areas there where they were having these exploding rates of stroke and heart disease and so on. And um, not only were did these, you know, high-incidence areas coincide with areas where they were eating 
a more Western diet, but they were also areas that were getting more disconnected from agriculture, more disconnected from the soil. And so that was one of the first things, was really thinking, how you know, I, I don't know that much about farming. What truly constitutes healthy farming and healthy soil? And then the more I explored it and the more I learned from farmers and actually started to spend time on farms, I realized how little I did know and how, in fact, Farmers are these keepers of lots of health knowledge, not only in the fact that they're growing food, which is our principal medicine, but in the way that they grow that food, if they're doing it mindfully, they have to think in a very complex um, uh, way that, in fact, I, as a family physician, want to imitate. You know, they have to think about all these variables, whether it's plants or the animals or the microbes in the soil or the weather conditions or the nutrients. And in order to be a good farmer, you really have to, you know, kind of be a healer of the soil. And so I started to um, realize that these were folks who actually could teach me skills, you know, healing skills that I could bring back to my office. And speaking of those skills, you you have a lot of what you call farm-to-body lessons in, in pharmacology, and you start with the gut and soil connection, so similarities that you've seen between rejuvenating the soil and rejuvenating the body. Can, can you talk a little bit about those? Absolutely. And just to explain a little bit more, this book really was an exploration for me. So I started off with the question, what can a family doctor learn from a family farmer? And I went to farms all over the country that were sustainably run, were ecologically run farms. And that was the question that I used when I showed up there, you know, what, 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 what lesson could I learn here? So in each farm, I actually managed to glean different kinds of lessons. But the one you're referring to, I write about in the, in the first chapter, and it took place on a, a, a vegetable farm in Washington State. And what I learned was that this, this farmer had, um, spent a significant amount of effort trying to rejuvenate his very depleted soil and that the lessons that he offered there were ones that in fact I could use on my patients, on my depleted patients. And um, the most uh, profound part was that initially when he took over the land and realized that his soil was in trouble, he used what is called test and replace, uh, a system of testing and replacing in order to try and fix his soil, where he would actually take soil samples and send them off to a lab. And then based on the readouts from the lab, he would buy minerals and pour them back into the soil. But he was realizing that he was spending tons of money on this and that it wasn't necessarily improving things. And as I was listening to him tell me the story, I realized that so many patients I see actually try and do the same thing when they feel off or depleted. They go and they see health practitioners who test them. And when they find little deficiencies, they give them, you know, drugs and supplements to sort of put back into their system to replenish them. So I was curious to hear what kind of system this farmer had developed that was working better for him now. And 
he explained to me that what he had in fact done was turn to a regenerative or ecological model that, you know, he was calling it biodynamic, but it could have a number of different names. But the principle really is to farm in a full circle way, the way nature farms, where you return all the organic matter to the soil and you conserve water and you keep the ground covered and you always farm with animals so that their manure can become part of the nutrients of the soil. And basically, you really maintain the micro-life in the soil, all those worms and microbes and so on, and fungi, so that they can, in, in turn, nourish the plants. And as I was listening to him, I realized that it probably made a lot of sense, instead of putting my patients on lots of vitamins, for them to start to eat from one of these regenerative cycles where already the soil has done the work of packaging these plants with nutrients. And so I sense, it sends me off on an exploration to microbiologists and nutritionists and so on to find out, to answer this very simple question, what happens to us and our health? when we eat from a regenerative cycle, you know, from a farm that truly is being managed in this way. And what I discovered is that, in fact, we rebalance as well. Well, that really bears out with the science, I think, too, Dr. Miller, in the sense that we see, say, for instance, in epi large epidemiological studies that people who eat diets that are high in vitamin C have a lower risk of of certain diseases, but we don't see the same benefits if someone just takes vitamin C. Exactly. And I think that that's part of what we, you know, are realizing is that when you let a soil, plant, you know, farm cycle package your nutrients into your food, it does a much better job of actually giving you what you need than if you buy that off the shelf at a, at a you know, a, a nutraceutical store or, you know, a vitamin shop. Well, when you talk about rejuvenating the soil and rejuvenating the body uh, and the biodiversity of the soil, are you also looking at uh, biodiversity of, of gut bacteria and yes, positive flora? absolutely. And I was giving you the short story there because, uh, you know, obviously it's a, in the chapter I sort of wind my way through the soil and then wind my way through our intestine and talk about how they're linked. But what... Um, the microbiologists are discovering is that there's a number of different ways that our internal microbiome, the, the, the bacteria in our gut, actually communicate with the bacteria in the soil. So, for example, one study, which is probably just the tip of the iceberg, but uh, they've discovered that there's a certain bacteria that lives on seaweed and is really good at digesting seaweed and taking the nutrients from that seaweed. And when microbiologists looked for that same enzyme in this um, bacteria-eating seaweed and looked for it within the whole animal kingdom, they found it actually in the microbiome of cultures that eat a lot of seaweed. And so what they have theorized has happened is that over generations, that bacteria that has lived on seaweed and done such a good job of digesting seaweed has actually hitchhiked on the seaweed and into the guts of people from Japan and other island uh, nations and actually given them 
a special ability to digest raw seaweed, something that those of us who don't you know, live near the, the ocean possibly have not uh, developed. And uh, when I've spoken with microbiologists about this, they said that this is just the tip of the iceberg and that, in fact, there's probably all kinds of genetic information that's getting passed on to us from the soil and via the plants that we eat. And if you're eating from healthy soil, then, in effect, you're getting positive or helpful or healthful information. And um, the counterpoint to that is that there's studies showing that um, when your food is raised in soil that's been treated with a lot of pesticides or herbicides, the bacteria that is transferred to us might actually be giving us information that it, you know, causes antibiotic resistance or sort of creates superbugs. And uh, this is a study that actually recently came out of uh, Washington University at St. Louis that this kind of transfer from unhealthy soil to our intestine might be also taking place. And certainly that's probably true with the antibiotics in, in animals as well. Yes, and that's really what we've focused on in the, fa- in the past. This is this idea of, you know, treating animals with antibiotics can create um, uh, antibiotic resistance in humans. But we hadn't focused on the soil itself where our food is grown. And now we're realizing that that might be just as important, if not more so. <laughs> In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today with Dr. Daphne Miller about her new book, Pharmacology, What Innovative Family Farming Can Teach Us About Health and Healing. Dr. Miller, in, in pharmacology, you talk about how we misuse the word holistic. Can, can you tell us uh, what the proper use of holistic in your mind is? Well, this was a profound lesson for me as well, because I use the word in many different ways all the time, as do my patients. But uh, in the second farm I visited, it was a, a, a beef farm in Missouri, and the farmer there really sort of set me straight on what he believed the definition was, and by the end I really had to agree with him. And for him, the definition of a holistic healing system really is a system where all the pieces work together. So it, holistic is not just, you know, buying vitamins off the shelf or saying om once a day. You know, it really is having a whole life that makes sense um, where all the pieces, you know, are working towards this healthful end and really as sort of a master plan. I mean, truly whole. And uh, the way that I learned this lesson from him was that he has a very new system for managing his beef cattle, which is it's called mob grazing. And I say it's a new system, but it's actually a really old system. He's trying to imitate the way that bison traveled through the Midwest, you know, several hundred years ago, so that they would... The, he, keeps a 1,000 head of cattle basically in a seven-acre paddock and moves them either once or twice or sometimes three times a day to new paddock of grass where they really take everything from that area, deposit their nutrients back into the area, and um, really um, rejuvenate the soil. And he, as because he shifted to this new system of grazing, he all of a sudden started to change all these other things on his farm. He stopped using antibiotics in his cows because he, if you feed your cows antibiotics, that gets deposited in the soil and then it destroys the life in the soil and then you can't get healthy soil to feed your cows. 
he has stopped weaning his calves because you, once you when you keep them in a mob, it's just impossible to wean them. Um, he stopped uh, buying um, all kinds of outside inputs like hormones and grain and hay and corn and all of that. And as a result of all of these different things, his calves all of a sudden started to become incredibly healthy. He didn't have the typical diseases that you see on a beef farm. He didn't have the health problems associated with weaning. He didn't have the problems associated with giving them lots of antibiotics, like the various gut um, issues. He didn't have respiratory problems. And so he was telling me about all the healthy changes that had taken place on his farm. And I was very fascinated about this because I'm interested in how to raise more resilient kids, not calves, and I thought he would have some lessons to offer me. And so I said, well, you know, tell me, teach me what I can, how I can apply this to children in my practice. And he said, well, I can't tell you one specific thing to do because it really is the whole system. It's the holistic way that I do this from this grazing system on down to these little details like that I don't use herbicides and so on. And I realized that so much of the time when we approach our health or our children's health, we really want the quick fix. We want to do the one thing that's going to kind of, you know, be easy and make them healthier. And we don't sit down a lot and rethink, you know, our whole way of maintaining our our, our wellness from our diet to, you know, the kind of stress we have to the way we work to the way we commute to, you know, the choices we make on what we do with our weekend to, you know, what we put on our skin or on our, you know, what we use to clean our houses, you know, the chemicals we choose. And it really just gave me a very, very new take on this idea of holistic. And would you say then that that this is an example of 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 emphasizing health outcomes over efficiency. It seems like that's the case, at least in this farm example versus factory farming. But I was curious if that translates, you think, into uh, medicine as well. Absolutely. And, you know, a part of that we, we always, you know, want something that's going to be an easy answer and is going to give us, you know, a big bang for our buck, whether it's our health or the way that we farm. And the lessons I discovered over and over again in this book is if you really want long-term wellness and long-term productivity, either in your body or in what you grow on a farm, that there isn't going to be a quick fix, and you really do have to come up with this very integrated or sustainable solution to it. And in each chapter in the book, I actually draw these health maps of the farm, which show all the interconnectivity between the different parts of the farm and how they keep the farm healthy. And at the end of the book, I propose that we do this for ourselves. And this is something I've started to do in my office. In fact, I saw a patient just an hour ago who I was going over their health map with them. And it turns out when you just do this exercise, and it might seem kind of silly to you, but when you sit down and actually start to draw out all the components of what makes up your health 
from your relationships to how you spend your day to what you choose to put in your body to the things that stress you out to how you sleep um, and start to, you know, you know, to how many hours you spend in front of the TV to, you know, how many hours you spend in a car and you start to draw these things out in a literal map. It's, it, there's, there are huge revelations that come of it. I have these patients who feel like they're really self-aware, but when they do this, they all of a sudden see things they hadn't seen before. Well, one of my favorite chapters, Dr. Miller, is the chapter on chickens and stress. And I would love if you could share an anecdote from that chapter. I, th- I thought that was very illuminating, the different types of stress uh, and the chickens that we would assume wouldn't have any actually had quite a bit. Yes, and this was an, yet another instance where I went in with one set of ideas and then learned something totally different. What that visit to, it was actually to a laying hen farm in Arkansas. It taught me about the difference between good stress and bad stress and also how stress is related to productivity. Because, you know, you actually need to be stressed to some degree in order to be productive, believe it or not. So how to, what is that fine line between healthy stress and unhealthy stress? And, and um, part of the, uh, my visit, the reason I visited this farm was it was prompted by the fact that I've spent probably hours standing in front of the egg section of supermarkets trying to decide which kind of egg to buy. And I'm sure that a lot of your listeners can relate to this. There's, you know, free range, free range organic, there's just regular old eggs, and then there's pasture-raised eggs. And, you know, they're all different prices. There's pasture-raised organic. And what do these all mean? And so there's a farm in Arkansas uh, where is the, the egg farmer had started off with a very, very conventional operation, you know, the high-density chicken houses, those things that you just think of as living nightmares with 15,000 hens to a house. And initially he'd put them in cages, but then he'd actually taken them out of the cages so that they could qualify as free-range. And then he fed them organic mash and um, so that they could qualify as free-range organic. I mean, and I think they have access to, like, some little paved over bas- basketball court size place outside the barn so that they technically c- can go outside. But they're, you know, the tips of their beaks are taken off. They're 15000 to a house. It's just, it's really a nightmare. So that's your free range organic. And then this farmer had decided that he wanted to take the other side of his property and actually make a real pasture-raised operation. So he took the same breed of hens and moved a bunch of them across the street where there are 5,000 to a house as opposed to 15,000, and where they have access to, you know, this beautiful pasture each day, all day, where they can peck and play and run and sunbathe and dust bathe and so on. And so I wanted to learn about the differences between these two farming systems, and I went and I visited both of them in the same day. And needless to say, from my perspective, the ones who were on pasture seemed like they were in nirvana, you know, in some kind of chicken spa. And he told me, he said, well, you know, yes, you might think that, but in fact, those pasture-raised hens, they have their own stressors. I mean, they can get attacked by a bobcat. 
they can get, you know, hit by a thunderstorm or a little tornado <laughs> because they have tornadoes in that part of the country. Um, since they have all these roosts that they can fly up to, they can actually fall from the roost and break a bone because they have space. They can chase each other, and since they still have the t- tips of their beaks, they can peck each other. They can even peck each other to death. He said, yeah, that, that's, you might think that the, those hens are stress-free, but they're having a different kind of stress than the ones who are in the barn. And so I, that got me curious enough that I went and spent time with a real stress researcher at Rockefeller University in New York. His name is Bruce McEwen, and he's an expert in stress, both in chickens and humans. And what Bruce McEwen told me was he said, yes, they each do have their own kind of stress, but the ones who are on pasture, they have a kind of stress that when you have it, it's kind of a high-intensity stress, but then it goes away entirely. He called it sort of fleeting stress. You know, it could be high-drama fleeting stress. He said, but those hens that are in that high-density, free-range organic barn, the one that are 15,000 to a barn, they have chronic, low-grade, windowless, dusty, you know, they never can have time to themselves. There's always this piercing tackle. They have dust in their eyes. There's nowhere for them to rest. And he said, that's the kind of stress that actually kills you, that gives you heart attacks and strokes and hemorrhoids and heartburn and all of those things. And he said, believe it or not, that's the kind of stress that most of us have. You know, we work in a windowless office. We have a spouse or a boss who henpecks us all day. We have very little choice. We have very little ability to exert our own, um, you know, our, our own choices. And he said, whereas the other hens, those pasture hens, they have two things that actually stress-proof them. One is that they can make social networks because they're in smaller groups, and they have free choice. And so it made me realize that those are things that I really need to work on in my patients so that they don't become the free-range organic hens. They become the pasture hens. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So, so um, to finish off the show today, I'm sure we've piqued some people's interests uh, around learning more about holistic medicine in general. How, how do pharmaceuticals and, and other medical technologies that are more contemporary and modern uh, fit into this sort of approach? Another epiphany that happened after being there is that technology is not at all contrary to this more sustainable or holistic way of farming or medicine. But unlike um, what we do a lot in, in big ag or in modern medicine where we use the drugs and often create problems down the road because we're not actually respecting the natural balance of things, the way that these sustainable farmers use technology is to support the natural ecosystem. So they might, for example, Cody, that 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 um, mob grazing cattle rancher, he uses a really technological fence in his cattle grazing, but he uses it in order to to make this natural system happen with his cattle. Um, and the same, you know, with the the, the um, biodynamic vegetable farmer, he uses a lot of equipment on his farm, but he uses it in order to maintain that healthy balance in the soil. 
Um, and he uses, you know, different testing systems still and, and, so, and monitoring systems. And I feel like it's the same way with medicine. I, you know, there's a role for surgeries and pharmaceuticals and even supplements and, you know, even very sophisticated genetic manipulations. But we have to do it in balance with this idea of how, first and foremost, do we support our innate wellness and our ability to stay well. And then we can start to explore how to bring these things in. But looking for the quick fix, the medicine that, you know, for example, the acid blocker, which might help you in the short term, but we now know is going to create problems from pneumonia to bone loss in the long term, those are not, those are not holistic solutions. Well, it was a pleasure having you back on Health Watch today, Dr. Miller. Do you have a website you could point our listeners to? Absolutely. They can follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Daphne Miller. So that's D-R-D-A-P-H-N-E Miller. Or they can come to my website. It's uh, Dr. Daphne, drdaphne.com, D-R-D-A-P-H-N-E.com. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. We were talking today with Dr. Daphne Miller, the author of the book Pharmacology, What an Innovative Family Farming Can Teach Us About Health and Healing. If you missed part of today's program, you'll be able to listen to it at kboo.fm backslash healthwatch, or you can subscribe to the iTunes podcast by going to the podcast store, typing in the word healthwatch, one word, and uh, stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.